Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. everyone, my name is Ryan Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is presented by StatsCoach. StatsCoach is a hockey analytics company which works with the minor and junior hockey community. For more information, visit www.statscoach.ca or contact statscoach at outlook.com. Today we are joined by James McGregor, a former scout and hockey operations executive with the Edmonton Oilers and Erie Otters. I was fortunate enough to meet James a few months ago while participating in the Brock Mentorship Program where we were paired. From my conversations with James, it was clear that he had a wealth of knowledge for the game of hockey, especially in the areas of scouting and recruiting. As someone who wants to progress in hockey operations, it is people like James that really interest me, and when you factor in his candid nature and willingness to share his experiences with others, it made it a no-brainer to invite him on the podcast. With that, here's James McGregor, former scout and hockey operations executive with the Edmonton Oilers and Erie Otters. All right, today we're joined by James McGregor, a former hockey executive with the Edmonton Oilers and the Erie Otters of the OHL. James, thanks for joining the podcast. Hey, Ryan, thanks for having me. Great to be involved in your uh, podcast here. Looking forward to chatting with you. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Uh, tell me about where you grew up and maybe a little bit about your upbringing and your involvement in sport from a young age. For sure. I uh, was born and raised in Owen Sound, Ontario. Uh, I grew up through the minor hockey program here, never playing a uh, real competitive uh, level, um, but just had a love for the game. Played uh, like our rep program here, played some AE program here growing up. Um, into my teenage years and then uh, actually early on when I was still in used to be grade 13 we had here in Ontario um, I started coaching Pee Wee team in the area so I got involved on that side of the game so I've always kind of been involved with hockey uh, from a young age enjoyed it loved it Vancouver Canucks when I was growing up were my team Pavel Bure through the 90s was the exciting player for me to watch Um, so, and the Oilers in the 80s, for sure. And yeah, that was my involvement. Played some baseball here and golf. So That's I was involved right. in minor sports in Owen Sound. And there's a, there's a love and passion to it. My family's all medical. So my brother's a neurosurgeon. And my mom and dad were doctors. So I, I was kind of the black, uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> the outside cast going yeah. into the sporting world and, and really involved with that. Yeah, no, that's great. And, and a lot of people get that, uh, that involvement at an early age and it kind of grows into a passion that they use later in their career. Uh, so after, after that, you went into Brock University. Talk about your experience at the SPEMA program and maybe talk about your involvement to this day, whether it be guest lectures or program involvement with the mentorship program, et cetera. Sure. Uh, SPEMA kind of came about in a, in a really random way of life, uh, thinking back on it. I was walking the halls of our high school here thinking, what am I going to do with my life moving forward? Uh, And came, stumbled upon, you know, a presentation of SPEMA. Um, So there was some people up from the program presenting to our school about the program. And I started digging into it. And uh, really, it just something when I was sitting there resonated with me that, you know what, there, this is probably something I I really need to look into. So I started researching and did my application and got in. And really, it was it was early on in the SPEMA program when I was there and uh, starting in 2001. Um, so our first year wasn't as sports specific. Uh, it was kind of more of a general, we had a one general class and then it really dialed into the two years, two, three, and four were really dialed into sports specific. And it was awesome to learn 
concepts of business, concepts of economics, marketing, sponsorship, negotiations through the lens of a sports uh, field. And that, that really helped me learn, wanted me to learn, and I wanted to do more with it. Also in the program, what, what really helped, and again, it didn't hit home for me until probably second and third year was, or third and fourth year was the, the opportunity to network. They talk about network, network, network. And that really, I guess it came about through confidence and uh, becoming involved here with, with the Owen Sound Attack when I was back home. Uh, I would be out painting the lines of the ice surface. I'd help put up advertising, help run some events. And then uh, started volunteer with an agency at the time, which was called uh, the, the MacArthur Group, which was Mike MacArthur. He was at a Simcoe. And he had, uh, there's a lot of, there's actually some good hockey players coming out of Sim that came out of Simcoe, Dwayne Rolson, Rob Blake, a few others, uh, if I'm missing them, sorry, but those ones come to my, come to my mind. So I started doing some research actually for him on, uh, we wanted at the time to develop a curriculum like McLean's magazines for universities, but a curriculum for hockey players to look at as an agency to say, you know, what's going to be my best route here? How are we going to rank these teams? Um, never took off, but that was actually my fourth year research project at Brock. Again, a lot of hands-on experience, a lot of talking with people, gathering uh, contacts, which is inevitably the, the biggest thing you could do. Um, and then I did my internship with the attack and that was all business related in terms of ticketing, uh, marketing, all, all those aspects that if you don't have those in the game, you don't have the fun stuff that I got to do later in life, later in my career of the hockey management side. Yeah, no, that's great. And, and from those who've spoke about the Brock program and I've, I've gone through a SPEMA program, they really do a great job in those middle years of really diving into sport and, and teaching you about that part of the industry. Um, so then after that, you initially worked as a group sales specialist with the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, how did you enter that role and what was your initial experience working in the NHL this time on the business side? So that started actually again from a, a SPEMA lecture. There was a gentleman, can't remember his name and I should, I think it was Dave Thompson. He was with MLSE at the time and he came in to talk about uh, sponsorship for that organization. And uh, I just went up to him at the end and said, you know, great presentation liked what you were doing the lockout you have to remember at that time 0405 the lockout's going on so we're we're set to graduate and the NHL isn't even running um so I, I just approached Dave gave him my card kind of followed up with him and at one point said you know what like what's going on in other Canadian cities I don't I don't necessarily need to stay in Ontario um I'm really I'm happy to go anywhere I'm young I'm just graduating what uh, do you have any contacts out west so he had sent me his, uh, his same people in Vancouver, Calgary, and Edmonton. So I interviewed in Vancouver for a position in Edmonton, and uh, that was the one that uh, ended up sticking. It was a, it was a short, uh, I think my first contract was for eight months, um, low salary, bonus structure, sell tickets, like just get out there and, and do the work. And it was for me, it was uh, group sales. And within the group sales demographic, I could not sell to corporations. So I had to find non-profit, uh, non not-for-profit organizations to sell group tickets to, uh, which was in, in a city that I moved there in August. Like, I didn't know anyone. Um, so that really, uh, it was an awesome opportunity to grow confidence in cold call and just start talking to people and try to find a way to get into a big community from being involved with, you know, living in Owen Sound and living in St. Catharines, you know, much bigger version of Owen Sound to Edmonton, which fortunately was another good step. Like it's a big city, but it's got a great uh, small town vibe to it. Yeah, no, that's great. So that, that was a, but that was a quick stint. That was six months. We were fortunate that our team was rolling. The energy of NHL being back was hot. Um, we had just gotten Pronger and Pekka. Uh, made some big moves so the team was was gearing up to be exciting and it was so uh, as much as the hard work was to dig in and, and find groups to go it was easy when the on ice product started picking up pace so I actually sold 210 percent of my target by January and was moved out of that role because they didn't want to pay my bonus structure <laughs> <laughs> oh that's that's awesome and and Trevor Murphy in a previous uh, interview had mentioned about the energy in Edmonton and when the team has some excitement around them it's uh it's not hard to 
to get people in that building. Uh, so it's still that, like just you saying that gives me goosebumps remembering yeah. back to that, you know, old five Oh six season of, of that magical run that we had to the finals, but the, the energy in that building and in that city is amazing. Yeah. No, I, I, I've yet to be there myself, but it's definitely something I'm going to have to uh, take in at some point. So that first summer, you transitioned then to a role as executive assistant to the GM under Kevin Lowe at the time. Uh, how was it working along him? And how was that transition moving into hockey operations a little bit more as a, uh, you know, instead of group sales? Yeah, that was, uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate that Kevin, uh, A, believed in me. Again, it was just, it was opportunity and, and being in the right place at the right time. Um, Kevin, you know, I met with him a few times, met with Scott Housen, who was our assistant GM at the time. And they really wanted someone in the role that was, uh, as an executive assistant, kind of less, um, a bit less on the, you know, secretary side, but really help. You have to do that. That's part of it. But we need you to understand the CBA. We need you to help Scott uh, manage the day-to-day of our collective bargaining agreement and all the intricacies that go through register you know making sure that everything's registered with central registry within the nhl all your deadlines are met contracts are met so it was uh it was an exciting role um again kevin really became like a father figure to me he gave me a lot of rope and autonomy to do my job and just help him be able to do his job better and from that just the learning of that that first summer was amazing and I started on a two-week contract with Kevin. And we, were, we went in to play Detroit Red Wings. And he said, you know what, I'll just give you to the end of this, and then we'll see where we're at. Boom, we beat Detroit, and we ended up going to the Stanley Cup Finals. By the time that's all said and done, um, I, you know, I, had ran, I had successfully done, gone through June 1st, which is a signing deadline, gone through the draft, set up our development camp, and was gearing up for free agency. So I had been in the role and probably one of the most busiest times, uh, had some success with it. He was comfortable and that led to, you know, continuing on. It was, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's just another one, of, another example of, you know, right place, right time. And, and maybe joining at that difficult time ultimately set you up to succeed. Maybe when there was a little bit of downtime and taught you on the fly. So you never really had yeah. time to get comfortable, but you were forced to learn, which is always good. Yeah. Best way to do it. Learn by like, <laughs> just get in and do it. It was, it was, challenging and it was oh it was so it was so good like just for your mental aspect to to be in the day-to-day and battling it out it's it was great yeah so uh in the next couple years you'd go on to hold roles such as coordinator of hockey operations manager of scouting amateur scout and assistant director of amateur scouting uh can you maybe just ramble and touch on the different roles and maybe give a brief background of your daily tasks and routine while in those multiple positions yeah, absolutely. Um, so the the coordinator and manager of hockey operations just evolved as I, you know, grew within the role of the executive assistant to Kevin Lowe. Um, so and that was growing in that the game was growing. Video scouting was becoming uh, more of a impact, having more of an impact. It wasn't just a coach's tool anymore. It was starting to become a scouting tool. Uh, analytics, huge, was coming in. So Kevin really, uh, and as we moved through many GMs at the time, uh, through Edmonton, uh, they, everyone seemed to give me the opportunity to try something new and do something different. So the first little bit with Kevin and Scott in the coordinator's role, it was great to learn from Scott Housen, who was uh, a great negotiator. He, could res- he taught me how to research players, how to do arbitration cases, how to... Um, you know, help talk to agents, get negotiations going. And that, so that was amazing. Then I started a video scouting kind of department within, within the Oilers in those roles. And we had interns from the University of Alberta, um, some great kids that came through there, eager, hungry, wanting to learn. I was paired up with, at the time, Billy Moores, who's a longtime uh, coach, was an amazing coach with the University of Alberta Golden Bears, and then an assistant coach throughout his time in, in the uh, NHL. And the people he learned from, the older listeners will know them, but the Claire Drakes, George Kingstons of the Hockey Canada world were his mentors. And he was able to pass that on to me. And I believe it was through that video scouting and creating a 
player development model within Edmonton of what we wanted our prospects to look like, how we wanted to train them, uh, really kind of began to develop my eye for scouting talent. And it was in games sitting with the likes of, you know, many great hockey minds up there. That's the fortunate thing when you're in the NHL, you can kind of nuzzle up beside some great minds and just talk to them throughout the game, ask them what they see, um, get an understanding of what they're looking at and, uh, and then start, you know, start building your, your catalog of information in your brain on what to look for player types. What do those player types need to execute? How do they execute them? So that really began my mark into the scouting side of things. Um, and so the manager's role was really administrative, working alongside our head pro scout and uh, head amateur scout. Again, providing them with information, doing the analysis of um, we were, you know, trying to break down at the time before I left, we were trying to break down uh, what point percentages meant in certain leagues compared to how do they in statistical numbers uh, turn out on average within an NHL draft. So there was a lot of behind the scenes number crunching going on, which I was helping to facilitate with a, uh, a pro uh, group in Edmonton called Dark Horse Analytics, who was through the University of Alberta. Um, so we had some brilliant guys in there that could talk about numbers that I didn't even know existed. <laughs> but again, it's just another tool that was that was in our toolbox to create the best atmosphere to try to draft the best players for the organization. No, that's that's awesome, and it sounds like there was a lot of different tasks. And again, as you progress, you could different definitely see different uh, areas of hockey operations, and really, like you said, learn from different people and just being there day to day with different people. It's like they say when people are going to internships, you know, just talk to as many people as you can and learn from people who are there because that's ultimately how you get better yourself. It is like the opportunity that I had from Craig McTavish's coach. He was, and Billy Morris was coaching with him at the time. He was great to sit and chat with. Um, and Tom Rennie is one of the guys that stands out in my mind along with Billy Morris and Kemba Lowe. But Tom Rennie was really really patient with me and such a good educator of the game for me. I could sit and talk with him and his patience and his level of explanation was, was amazing. And it, it developed my mind so much to think about different act, uh, just different, the difference in the game and then taking a simple skill that you think is so simple and breaking it down to a teachable level. Yeah. Like that is, it's one thing to be able to see it, you know, comprehend it, but then to break it down and teach it and, or break down a system and teach it, it his delivery uh, to me and, and to the team at the time was, it was, uh, it was such an educational time. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing opportunity to learn. Uh, backtracking to 2012, uh, while you were a scout with the Oilers, you started working as a consultant with the Erie Otters, uh, which continued for a few seasons. You joined a team that just drafted McDavid and would have players such as Strom, Dermott, et cetera, go through the team. How was that position? How did it come about? And uh, what was your experience like being involved in an up-and-coming team that would ultimately go on to, to win a few years down the road? Yeah, again, um, I think what, what helped that situation. So uh, it was very well known in the media. The Oilers were looking to purchase the Erie Otters. Um, so they had a deal in place. To, to do the purchase and the final part of it, which didn't come through, was that they uh, needed to land in Hamilton. So that was well documented in the, in the news. So I'm not sharing anything people don't know. So my goal, uh, when I, had, I guess to backtrack a little bit, um, I, had started, I had started talking a lot to Bob Green at the time of the Edmonton Oil Kings. The Oil Kings were rolling uh, in the Western Hockey League after you know, becoming an expansion franchise. And there's, there's a passion growing in me uh, for leadership and leadership within sport. And I thought that my mind started turning towards, okay, what about going to the CHL route? Um, we had, and it's all circumstantial, but it just kind of lined up. We had just had our first son, Keegan, um, in 2010. And it was in 2011, I started looking at opportunities um, you know, I ended up with head-to-head -head with Kyle Dubas in the Sioux interviewing there, which was a, a crazy experience that's for another podcast. But uh, he and I were kind of the last two candidates there, which was awesome. And, and we all know how Kyle has done since there. Um, he's a, he was a year behind me in SPEMA. 
so I knew of him coming up. I knew he was a, uh, a, a great young mind coming up right behind me in Spima. So it was no surprise that uh, he was able to do what he did, but it then gave me the opportunity to go head to head with him with Erie. So Edmonton, you know, gets in this deal with, with Erie and uh, I was pestering Kevin Lowe for a little while and said, let me go back and, and help that franchise. Let me go back and, you know, apply some leadership, Kevin. It's something I've always been passionate about um, and I'd love to do it. And he said, okay, you're going back. So they sent me back for those two years to work alongside with uh, Dave Brown and Sherry Basson, who was the owner and GM at the time. And again, Sherry, just a, <laughs> he is a character, but a wealth of knowledge. Um, so I learned a lot from them and a lot on how to run a junior franchise, which is a lot different than, than NHL um, in terms of, I can remember sitting down watching my first midget game after watching NHL and CHL and like, just be mind blowing. Like, how do you find players in this? Because yeah. their, their skill level is so different yet. You're still looking for the same things, but there's chaos out there. So until you get a Mac, like acclimatized to the game at that level, it was, it was quite a learning experience, but we, we were fortunate. Yes, we had McDavid. I mean, that's a no brainer. Um, there was lots of discussion for us around Strom there, you know, Dermot was not signed at the time that I, I was there. So we went on a recruiting mission. I went and watched him a few times up in Newmarket where he's playing tier two. Um, we were able to recruit him down and that's, that's a big thing in, in the CHL that you don't see is the recruitment that goes on behind the scenes. Hence we go back to my research project in yeah. fourth year, like how do you make the best decisions for the family, for the kid um, and create an environment that really helps, helps grow these young guys into, you know, better athletes, better people, better citizens, better professionals at whatever they do at the next level. That's gotta be, you know, a key core behind your organization. Um, so that first year there, I think we, I don't know, we didn't win many games at all. Like it was, <laughs> it was awful. Um, I ended up recruiting Chris Knobloch, who was a coach with the Kootenai Ice. Uh, had just he had just gone to a Memorial Cup with the Ice when the Owen Sound were and attack were there in Mississauga, and he's a, he was a young guy like me played uh, played at the University of Alberta. We got to know each other through my scouting through the Western League. I love the way he coached. I love the way he handled himself, his teams on and off the ice. So it was just a. I, I was fortunate that I was able to recruit him and get him to leave Kootenai for Erie, Pennsylvania. Like it's, there's a big difference in that Definitely. life. And his family's got to go from Kootenai, you know, into Erie and, and move transition themselves. But uh, once, once Chris came in place, we were able to put in some structure and systems that allowed us to become successful. And I think or all great organizations, business um, worldwide, you have structure, you have your, policy your organizational structure that you follow you have your systems that you follow and things come come alive don't deviate from that that's no. the biggest thing that you see within especially in sport and again i'm no expert but deviating from your plan doesn't get you anywhere sticking to your plan being focused and believing in it is where you're going to find your most success and any that's the biggest thing that i've learned throughout my time don't keep changing with the trends be who you are lead how you are and grow your teams that way. And I think that's how we were able to find success in Erie. And yes, we had some good players, but we recruited well. We had a good system. Parents were able to allow their kids to go to Erie now. It wasn't a stigma to go to Erie. It was, you know, it started to become a privilege to go to Erie with the people that were in place. Um, and you look at Debrinkat, like we, we yeah. signed Debrinkat out of high school. He was, we, I remember watching him in his midget draft year. And I was like, holy, this kid's good, but he's so small. And then he goes and lights it up and we were able to sign him like another great, you got to be everywhere. And when you're in the CHL, you've got to be everywhere in every rank, looking at players and, and finding talent that you believe in based on your, you know, your systems and structure that you have for players you want. Exactly. Yeah, no, it, it sounds like it was a, it was a great team and being able to, you know, implement that system that you wanted and get the right people in there. Um, a lot of people talk about product on the ice, but without the, the behind the scenes structure and the right environment and having everything else that is around the players, you're not going to have the success that you want when the puck's dropped. That's uh, right. Yep. Exactly. So 
A listener uh, wanted to know, after, you know, doing some OHL scouting, as you touched on, and also uh, the NHL scouting with the Oilers, what did you learn about scouting maybe in the later rounds? And what was your thought process with regards to who should warrant the late round selection? Yeah, so that's that's a very good question. And, and that comes back to philosophy, really. You, you have to have a philosophy in place of what, what do you want your players to look like? And it's not like, uh, we want, you know, the best forward. We want the best D. That's not it. What, what type of D are you looking for? So if you're, so you, you have these criteria of players in your mind, um, and then going for the later rounds, I, the, the easy way to say it is best player available, right? Just take yeah. the best player available, but there's too many variables on that. What I really liked that we started doing in my later years in Edmonton was giving the power to the area scouts to pick their passion players. If they're out there all year long watching these players, we were, I was big on making sure you get your homework done on players, like do your background research, talk to former coaches, talk to, you know, if you can't, if you, if you're in the area, talk to former teachers, whatever, get your book on your passion players built so that when we come to those later rounds, you're able to bang on the table and tell me that you want to put, you know, you want to put your scouting career on the line for this kid because you've done your research, you believe in him, and you've seen what he's capable of, and you believe in what he potentially could be. Um, and I don't think you, you're always going to make mistakes. There's no two ways about it in drafting, but I really like that philosophy, and I liked what that brought into our staff, the continuity that, that brought to us in believing in each other. It wasn't just, you know, management saying well we got to take this guy we got to take this guy it's get your scouts involved they're they're out there pounding the pavement they're passionate and their passion will come through when they present their passion players if they if if a scout comes to me and says "Ah, i kind of like him and you know he does this really well he does that but he doesn't show me passion we you got to get me a player you love because the later round is uh it, it is very very difficult um if we could draft datsuk's in round five all the time, we'd all be happy, but we can't. Um, you, you need to do your, do your due diligence. And uh, Kevin Prendergrass, one of the, another guy that was uh, with the Oilers for a long time, uh, taught me that at the end of the day, you got to, a little bit of you has to follow your gut. You have to follow your gut and, and believe in that. When you get all your research, all your analytics, all your video, everything broken down and if you're stuck in analysis, but like analysis, the pre, whatever that word is, you know, <laughs> like you get yeah, yeah paralysis by analysis, you get overwhelmed by stuff. You got to, you got to go back to your gut and, and try to believe in it, hope for the best. And you're going to miss a lot, but when you hit, it feels awesome. Yeah. It feels great to hit on those later round guys. So, you know, that, that was kind of my philosophy and that's what we did in Erie. We really promoted our, uh, our area scouts at the time to, bring forth your passion, do your research on players, bring forth your passion and let's pick those guys that we believe in because they fit within the definition of how we want the Erie Otters to look, how we want the Edmonton Oilers to play, you know, and that's to me, that was the the philosophy that needed to be and stick to it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's some people on this that will, well, if there's any (laughs) executives listening, it was just through those years of first picks, first picks, first picks, uh, new GM, new GM, new GM. It's an ever evolving change of philosophy. It's never the same philosophy. So you can't get continuity. You can't get your systems and structure in place that you want to be able to have the success at, you know, of the teams that are consistently successful. They have longstanding people in place or systems in place that people can move into and just roll with it. Yeah, for sure. The ever changing culture is definitely tough when you're trying to implement a plan over a over a rebuild or, you know, uh, trying to withstand success. Uh, so follow up on that, a listener was also wondering, um, while it probably has changed over the last number of years, is there maybe a certain demographic or league that you would maybe target in the later rounds? And then to follow up on that, what are some reasons maybe a player dropped so far, but ultimately does have success? Maybe a Daxuk's a, an extreme example, but you see guys who maybe come in in a bottom six role or, or et cetera. Yeah, so that's that's the art of uncovering the uh, unhidden talent within within people. What are the intangibles you can't see? What is, what is their mental makeup? What's their uh, 
their heart, what's their desire, their passion, um, all the great things that the great leaders talk about, what is that internally for them? Um, so that kind of speaks to why do some people make it out of those later rounds? I mean, I always equate it to if you, if you went, if you were a talent recruiter for Brock university where we went, right. You walked into a gymnasium and everyone's writing an, a math exam or an exam, whatever, a general arts exam. And you had to walk in there, look at, look at their criteria from their schooling and then start to pick out, okay, he's going to be a doctor. He's going to be a lawyer that at the end of the day, there are times where that's what drafting's about. And you're trying, you're, you've got such a small window of a player's life that you've looked into. If you haven't done your research or if you have, it's still a small level and the maturity level, it, it's so different. Like, I, I don't know, I'm sure a lot of the listeners have watched Michael, Michael Jordan's story. Like, look at that switch. When his maturity level switched, his whole passion towards the sport changed. Now, he probably always had that drive and that desire, but it wasn't coming out. It wasn't coming out in him. And, I, and no one was able to uncover it until he uncovered it himself. And those are the, those are the players that come out of those late rounds. They, they just find a way to push through and be better. And and constantly challenge themselves to be better. And that's a hard, that's a hard thing to find in people. And it's a hard thing to quantify. Like you, I, I don't know how you quantify it. And there's lots of guys out there that want to quantify uh, players and they want to quantify the, the game of hockey. And I, I believe in the, in that, but at the end of the day, the reason we all love hockey is the passion and it's the passion in the players that you bring, that bring out winners. And that's, that's something that scouts will, if you have a good eye, a good gut and a good feel and meet the kids. And I always wanted to meet the kids face to face and talk to them. I wanted to see into their eyes. And I know that sounds, you know, uh, glowing or, you know, kind of cliche because everyone wants that, but you, you, you can see in people what they bring and if they connect with you and, and to have then other people around you that connect with people in different ways helps build your, you know, your knowledge around some late round picks that you hope turn out. Yeah. And, and it's, it's really the, you know, that's the unique job of a scout. You know, you're looking for all these on ice qualities, but there's so many qualities behind the scenes and, 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 you know, maybe even more so at the OHL, there's kids at different development levels, but at the NHL, you also see that. So sometimes you just got to try your best to find that passion and, and sometimes it works and other times it doesn't. But as you said earlier, you know, when you do hit that late round player who makes an impact at the NHL level, it's uh, it's definitely a great feeling. It's a big win. Yeah. You gotta, yeah. you gotta take that one. But even just touching on your point, it's maturity level too, of these, of, of these people growing up. It's just the way they're growing up from, you know, 15 year old you're watching for the OHL to a 18 to 20 year old you're watching in the CHL and NCAA. Um, at the last part of that question uh, that your listener wanted to know is what league do you focus on for late round picks? I don't, yeah. Again, I don't, I, I never wanted to narrow that to be the decision. The decision had to be, um, from my perspective, if I was an OHL scout, it would be someone within Ontario, but it's not OJHL or OHL or CCHL. That's not where I need to pick from. I need to pick a player that I'm passionate about. Remove where they're playing and just go after the players you're passionate about. And then as you, as I transition more into an overseeing role, I can't get out and see all these passion players but I certainly love talking to my scouts about them. And if we were at a game where a passion player was there, I was zoned in on them and watching why this guy liked them. And it's not about the league. It's about believing, hire a staff and believe in them and, and let them do their job and believe in what you hired them for a reason. So if you believe in them, you, they've got to be able to bring you ideas. They got to be able to bring you uh, their opinion and move forward with that. You're yeah. going, you're, you're, you're all supposed to be rolling in the same direction. Definitely. That's, that's a great way to look at it. Um, so we talked a little bit about it earlier, but uh, your involvement in the game today, uh, I know you've done some work in minor hockey, but uh, maybe talk about that and also touch on uh, the program you started with Curtis Sanford in, uh, in Owen Sound. Yeah, sure. Uh, so after, uh, after leaving the hockey industry, I'd, my son started playing. So I got involved with, uh, with Owen Sound minor hockey in the rep program. Um, I've coached the last couple of years as an assistant this past year as the minor Adam coach for uh, my son's team. 
uh, we had a blast, lost a lot of games. We were kind of a <laughs> bit of a uh, bad news bears group, but man, did we have fun and did they, they learn a lot. And did I learn a lot about uh, transferring skills from again, seeing it at a high level down to a nine-year-old's level. Like yeah. it was, it was such a learning experience. Um, and this year I also joined the uh, Owen Sound executive as vice president responsible for all the rep teams. So um Again, still staying involved in leadership. That's uh, it's a volunteer position to be involved as the vice president. But for me, it's all about again creating an environment for our athletes, our hockey players within Owen Sound. And to that point, um, yeah, we've started a, a hockey task force. I guess we meet. Uh, that's what we're calling ourselves anyway. So hopefully that'll take off. But myself, Curtis Sanford, former uh, NHL goaltender. Uh, who was born and raised here, and uh, some other longtime coaches within the AAA program and co- and just actually uh, one really great high school coach who's coached at all different levels um, of high school in the area are creating a, a development model, not a, not a model that you need to follow, but a development focus for players that are entering Owen Sound minor hockey. And we want them to have the best experience following the criteria of um, Hockey Canada and making sure there's a system. Again, I'm coming back to it and I, people are going to get annoyed with me, but a system and a structure in place that our coaches can follow. Uh, I think what I've learned from watching minor hockey is we love our coaches that come in and and help our kids and want to do a good job, but sometimes they, they miss some key aspects of the game that you know, I was fortunate enough to learn from uh, some great people. Uh, they miss those aspects because it, coaching takes a lot of time. There's no two ways about it. And developing a practice plan takes a lot of time. And I find that the easy way to do it is what's the cool new sexy drill on Hockey Canada or on whatever database you want to find a cool new drill in. Uh, let's, do, let's run that this week. Let's run you know, the next cool drill the next week, which is awesome. And it's good. It's good for the kids. I don't want to take away from that. But I think there is a way to follow a program that allows you to teach the, the habits of the game, the important safety habits, the habits of being a successful player, um, all those habits, getting them front and center for these kids early so that they, they, they learn to play safer. They, they learn to turn up ice properly. They learn to have their eyes up. Um, and then into the skill development side of, you know, how can we implement the exact the skills that they need to take them to the next level or wherever that be. So we're we're trying to create we want to actually create a coach's handbook for minor hockey coaches dealing with on ice, off ice and the most important one, parents. How do we how do we help our coaches uh, learn to and I don't want to say manage it's manage and educate the parents to create a positive environment for their child or children that are involved in the game, whether, you know, it be boys, girls, house league, double A, triple A, single A, there needs to be some education of the parents as, as we've seen (laughs) in some newspaper articles of late. Um, But that's kind of, that's our focus right now. We're, we're, we're a bunch of hockey minds sitting around trying to develop uh, and we kind of tested it last year with our minor Adam group. Um, of running an on-ice curriculum that that we want to have in place so that if a new coach like say you want to you know you want to start helping kids out Ryan and you've never coached well I'm going to hand you a program and a booklet that has the basics of what you should teach them but gives you the freedom to be able to at least stay with somewhat of the focus of the skill set that we're working on within the five fundamental skills of a of a hockey player um, and, and do your own thing but have that there so that your time is better utilized. Yeah, and it's a great idea. And, and definitely for people who are maybe passionate and want to get involved in the game, but don't really have the initial steps of, of coaching or exactly how to go about it, that's a great reference for them to maybe look over and, and like you said, expand on it and, and build their own, you know, their own style into it. But at the same time, make sure they're not missing those, those fundamentals. And, and for parents and players, it's also good as well. Um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like I, I know, I know my own struggles going from the roles that I've had in hockey, and then trying to take it down to the tight age. And it's if you don't have something in place, it's difficult. And so we're, you know, we're just looking to build passion and uh, and help help coaches, as you said there. Yeah, it's it's a great way to give back. 
so maybe reflecting a little bit, looking back at your time in the OHL and the NHL, I know you touched on one earlier, but what are some of the important lessons you learned along the way? And a listener was wondering if there was maybe one piece of advice that you received early on from someone, maybe it'd be Kevin Lowe or someone else you met early on that stuck with you throughout your career. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of amazing life, life lessons throughout that time uh, because of the highs and lows of, of the industry. Um, the highs and lows of, you know, being emotionally attached to, uh, to people, to a team, um, and going through the hardships together, the wins together, the losses together, learning how to balance that and, you know, remain kind of level through it all and staying focused on where you, where you ultimately want to go is so for me, where I ultimately wanted to get to, um, in my career as a, as a hockey executive. And one of the, one of the best lines that, uh, that I remember, uh, was from Billy Moore's again, and it was bloom where you're planted. So no matter what job you're doing, if you're planted in that job, be, do it bloom right there. Do the best you can do at that job. Don't be thinking about your next don't be focused on your next steps, where you got to get to, what you got to do. Make sure your main focus is that job right there. Bloom where, you're, where, you're, where your plant is planted, but be thinking about what does it look like when you blossom. Just don't focus on the blossom because you're not there yet. And that really helps slow my aggressiveness in terms of trying to, quote unquote, climb the corporate ladder within the uh, Oilers organization. I was ambitious. I was eager. Uh, I really wanted to get to the top as fast as I could well and it took that that reflection of just slow down be who you know learn talk to people things happen for a reason so that was one of the uh the biggest life lessons that uh that came about that and probably the other one is uh I've done a lot of reading on John Wooden's work who's a famous basketball coach um, and he always talks about, you know, your pyramid of success. What does that look like for you? What is that roadmap? So I took a lot of focus into building my blocks of my own personal period, that pyramid that I, I share with my hockey kids. And I hope that they, you know, start to build one in their lives of, uh, how to, how they see themselves being successful and how do they get to their competitive greatness? So those were kind of the two big yeah. ones for me, uh, I had the drive. I just needed to slow it down a bit at times and just, and just, yeah, focus in on what I'm doing and be present in what I'm doing so that it helps me, you know, take in enough information that I'm ready for the next step. That's great. Uh, and you touched on that, uh, that book that you, you referenced. Is there any other sources that maybe, whether it be with minor hockey coaching or something, you know, early in your career and throughout your time in the NHL and OHL that you maybe look for a reference, whether it be a book or, maybe a webinar series or some kind of conference. Is there anything along those lines that you maybe look to for reference? Yeah, I, I guess I, I'm a bit old school still. Um, I pick up a book and I read it. I like the tangible feeling of that. I always would go back to uh, Good to Great, which is a great book by Jim Collins. It was, it, it's fundamental in setting up uh, businesses and how businesses get from being good, being average, doing what they can to being great. Um, so I really, I really referenced that book a lot through my time. Um, the Blueprint, which was a, an example of Bill Belichick and what he did with the, uh, with the Patriots. That was a good book for, um, for people to read. I read The Talent Code, which was, I'm just looking at my books here, so that's helping. <laughs> Uh, the Talent Code, which is a great read on uh, trying to understand. Again, it comes back to that question of, you know, greatness isn't born. It's, it's grown. Here's how it's grown. So um, trying to figure, again, trying to figure out how do we get these people to turn out? How do we get them to be magnificent when we don't know them that well? Um, and what was the, the last one I read was, uh, it, was a, it was called The Rare Find. And uh, again, it, and The Goldmine Effect. So those are all books that, that stick out in my mind that I, I re-reference a lot, depending on where I was at in my career and what I was, you know, looking to establish. So if it was more trying to understand players and what I'm looking at scouting, I'd be, you know, I'd be reading about what makes a great athlete. Grit is another one, you know, the power of passion and, and perseverance. How do you, how do you uncover that in people? Or if it, you know, if I was trying to build a, 
a program within uh, within a team, then I'd, I I would lean heavily on on the good to great because I think it's just it's a concept that you can apply in many different areas of life. Yeah, and and as people are going through times like COVID or whether they're in the middle of their careers, a lot of people look for references like that and. Just from the books that you listed there, a lot of them have, are ones that I, I've touched on or I've heard people bring up. And, and there's definitely people that are interested in hearing others' perspectives on these books and what they should be reading. So that's a great list to, uh, for maybe the listeners to reference. Um, in addition to that and the lessons you learned, uh, you touched on a few mentors that uh, you've met throughout the years. Is there any other ones that you can maybe touch on that really helped you progress or people that you... Uh, maybe didn't mention that you leaned on during your career, whether it be for advice, even if they weren't in hockey or, or whatever aspect they were dealing with. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, it was, it was hockey people. I would, uh, I would lean on in terms of that aspect. Uh, I was able to develop a, a good relationship with Doug Armstrong um, through Kevin Lowe and their hockey Canada ties. And Doug was Doug was great because he he came up in the sport not being a professional player. His dad was a referee, um, but he wasn't a player coming up. And he he got into the role and was able to succeed in a non-traditional way. Um, so he was a big mentor of mine in terms of just chatting with him about players and, and how he went about his career, what were his steps. Um, Scott Housen, again, within the organization, he was he was great to lean on. Um, he played coming through, but he had the law degree background. So speaking on, in the terms of the CBA and what you like that booklet itself is a monster read and, and everyone's got their own interpretations, but at the end of the day, central registry and the NHL tells you what, which way it's yeah. going. So, uh, between them and the PA, um, yeah. And then, yeah, Kevin Lowe was really the, the biggest one, a for starting to believe, to believe in me right off the hop and then really becoming like a figure to me and pushing me along when I needed pushed or pushing me back when I needed to slow down um he was he was the uh those were kind of the the big that I remember and then the last one Billy Morris uh he's just an unbelievable unbelievable teacher and man and has done so much for the game outside of the NHL he's been to Japan to help build the, their program he's coached at so many different levels and I think is a lifelong leader um which I, I praise those guys for being so good to me. Yeah, no. And you, you talk about mentors and, and everybody has a different list of people. And sometimes they're involved in hockey. Sometimes it's more of an indirect uh, person that they talk with, but those people definitely play a part in everyone's career uh, at any level. So it's great to hear that there was a couple of key people that you leaned on and that really helped you. Uh, I guess the final question would be, for those maybe looking to progress in hockey operations, whether it be at the OHL or NHL level and whether it be a scout or, you know, you've worked a little bit more behind the scenes, uh, what advice do you have for those looking to make that jump, whether they be from university or, or maybe it's someone who's further along in their life and are just looking to get into the game a little more? Yeah, I think you you got to focus in and see what you really want to do. Where, where are you passionate? Um, a lot of people like the – the dream of being a scout, but the life is actually very hard. Like it does sound that it's glamorous that you get to travel. And believe me, I've seen some amazing parts of the world. Uh, I've been so fortunate for the things I've seen and done and been able to experience through that. But when you're on a 10 day trip and you haven't seen your family and you go home for one day, then you're back out on another 10 day trip and you're going from arena to hotel to road to arena to hotel to road to plane to like it does become, um, it does become tiring. Like it, there's no two ways about it. Uh, but you, you never lose your passion once the puck drops and that game's on, it's awesome. And you're, you're doing it. But so that was a rambled answer that got nowhere. Um, but you just, you got to get in. And I think the biggest thing that, that helped me was, um, be confident, not overconfident, be confident in yourself, be confident in your abilities and talk to people. Uh, at the end of the day, your connection with someone, especially in the hockey industry, it's so small uh, from business side to hockey side. It's small all over. Like you're talking about Trevor Murphy, who I worked with in Edmonton on the business side. And now you have a connection with them. That, those connections make a big difference because it's one person's word of mouth and reference that helps you take that next step. 
And don't be worried if you're not doing a lot off the start. If you're just getting into it, again, be happy with what you're doing. Try to grow, push, learn, talk to people. It, networking is so big within, within the industry. Having a, you know, having a good name and having people that when an opportunity potentially presents itself, you're able to take action and, and you know, put your name forward and someone can vouch for you or whatever. It would be no different than any other business realm that they're in. Get involved and, uh, and push yourself forward. Yeah, that's great advice. And, and you know, going through the SPIMO program and, and talking with different individuals in the industry, networking is always, it comes up time and time again, whether you like to hear it or not. So it's definitely some and, great and it's under yeah and it's understanding what does that networking really mean like you hear it over yeah. and over again but it's just it, it at the end of the day it's being social talk to people ask questions give answers like people want to hear as much what you want to know what you know as much as you want to hear what they want to know like yeah. they want to get to know you and they're all in the industry together so and i think that's what kind of spawned you into sarnia right like yeah exactly. growing your network networking and that all of a sudden now you're you know you're in a hockey operations program and you, we'll see what happens with the season, but you're going to do your best to push yourself forward and, and do your best in that role. And I know that that's, uh, that's your focus. And again, it just took, just took time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's maybe not always the prettiest process and you know, you, you got to have a hundred conversations before you have the right one, but almost ties back to like when you hit, make that hit, when you're scouting, you know, when you have that right conversation and, and that right opportunity comes up, you know, you just gotta be happy with the result and, and then, then start putting in the work to, uh, you know, expand in that role or, or make sure that the person that helped you in that, get in that spot made the right decision. Absolutely. Uh, a great way to put it. Yeah. But James, I just want to thank you for taking time to come on the podcast. Um, you know, it's, it's exciting to hear what you're doing now. And, and with that program, that's definitely something we'll look to share as it comes forward. Um, if anyone has any questions, feel free to reach out to James or you can reach out to us as well. We'll get you in contact. James, thanks for taking time and all the best moving forward. Ryan, thank you very much. I appreciate it. It was nice to, uh, to talk hockey again. I mean, it's uh, during COVID, we're, we're not seeing a lot of hockey and us passionate people worried about when we're going to play again or when we're going to coach again, scout again. You know, it's nice to talk hockey with you and good luck with your podcast. Thanks for all having right. me on. This was great. Look forward to catching up again. All right, for sure. Take care. Take care. Bye. As always, I'd like to thank James for coming on the podcast to share his experiences and provide feedback on a number of interesting topics pertaining to scouting and hockey operations. It's not every day we are able to connect with people who have reached the highest level in this area of hockey operations, so again I want to thank him for taking time out of his schedule to speak on the podcast. If anyone is interested in speaking with James or is interested in learning more about his future venture, please reach out to him or contact Podcast at Outlook.com and I can make that connection for you. On the next episode, we will be switching gears and speaking with Jordan Hunter, who as a video coach has had success in the game of hockey, holding positions in Junior A, Youth Sports, and even Hockey Canada, so be sure to watch out for that episode. Finally, I just want to say thank you for listening, and thank you for your continued support. Stay safe, and all the best.